0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. You are the members of the church with snow chains, aren't you? God loves you guys a lot. Well, he does. We already did this a couple weeks ago, didn't we, with the rain? No. Hey, let me give you an update on what we've been doing with our... Um, our uh, New lives, real lives will change that we've been working on for, you know, I don't know, four weeks, kind of six weeks really, um, with the Live Oak building. Last year, or la- I'm sorry, last weekend, I hope you were here because it was, I counted, I've been at 2,750 different worship services at Grace. And last Sunday, it was certainly in the top three. It was absolutely amazing. We had people come forward. And worship God by bringing together up to the front, you know, pledge cards that were, they're pledging to their church. And it was just, it was, it was just worship. I mean, in a word, it was worship. And the second hour when my wife came, we were sitting together and she started crying and I started crying. And then I said, I have to leave because if I stay here, I can't go back up on that stage and I have to. And so, see ya. <laughs> It was just such a joy. Some of you people that haven't been here for very long, I noticed some of you guys were, were taken back by that, were stirred. Some of you that have been here for a long time, you saw something that was really breathtaking. So thank you for all of you. Uh, so far, our pledges, we have about a 500 different pledge cards turned in, totaling $5.5 million, just about $5.5 million. Yep. And if you remember, that was our good number. And so we are moving ahead on building the Live Oak building. It is our belief that there's probably about another 200 cards that haven't been turned in, people that weren't here last week or haven't got to it yet. You can still pledge online on the website there, and we're updating that website. But we have pledge cards out there, and we have a couple ladies working the table to help explain how that works. You can turn that pledge card in today during the offertory when the plate comes by. Or there's two offering boxes, by the way, in our lobby that um, are inside, but they're on exterior walls. And you can turn your pledge card in there as well. We're going to kind of go a little bit silent on, on the progression because they said as much as 20, 25% of pledges will be made after our date last week. So I don't know if the, if the website will be updated. I, I can't say to that one way or the other. But anyway, on December 15th, we will release the total amount. I think there's another million. Honestly, I think there might be another couple million dollars out there for people that want to sacrifice and give to their church. Here's what I need you to do, okay? Here's what I, we, we need everyone to do still. is If you have one of those blue boxes or blue square things, uh, the six blue square things you carry around, we sincerely need you to continue to pray that people will continue to pledge, and we have to get city approval on something that should be simple, but it won't be. So please continue to pray for city approval, okay? For more pledges and for city approval. Thank you again, Grace. We are going ahead with the Live Oak building. We'll keep you posted on that. Yeah, good for you guys. <laughs> I love this church. Okay, uh, in a similar, I guess, attitude is uh, Christmas at Grace. If you're new to Grace, Christmas at Grace is what we've been doing for a few years uh, now. And it is just, it is absolutely my favorite time and a lot of people's favorite time. We got a little bit of taste of it today with the strings, but we're going to start at the end of service next next week. At the end of the Thanksgiving service, we will officially start our Christmas season. And a week from them, two weeks from today, on December 7th, we will have the Fernando Ortega concert on on Sunday night. You do not want to miss that. It's at 6 o'clock. We have tickets available this week and again next week. This is just for Grace Covenant Church. I mean, you can invite your friends and all, but we're not advertising very much. Outside this, our congregation, and he makes this place sound fantastic. You do not want to miss that. And then we're going to do Advent this year. We don't do that often at Grace, but we're going to try to start making that more of a regular thing that we do at Christmas at Grace. And there are tons of these booklets all over the children's auditory or the children's greeting areas and on many of the tables outside. We would, these are devotionals for your family with different. Kind of moods and emotions that are built on promises of the advent season for each week they're they're questions for you to go through in your own devotional life or they're very family friendly so would you consider jumping on board with our Christmas at grace? The advent season starts next week. can't wait. We have a very special music next week that i'm I've waited two years to hear again so Enough, enough of that. So let's, let's, let's continue to talk about how we can, in our series that we've been going through for a number of weeks now, being transformed by God's grace. Okay? That's what we're looking at. And I want you to stop and think about, you know, what, I'm gonna, I'm, what we're going to learn today is something I've been looking forward to, to talking about for, uh, for years because I learned about 20 years ago kind of the way to read the Bible differently. And then because of that, you can read your life differently. And as a result, you can change your life. You know, you can see how God changes people's lives in the Bible, and then you can start seeing how God is changing your life as well. I uh, saw this just, I think I saw this 20, 25 years ago, and, and I've taught it once or twice before. But I think the, the, one of the most spectacular things in Christianity, one, at, one attribute of Christianity is that it changes people. It, it has... You know, if a person lets themselves go, it allows us the power of radical transformation. And what, what do we look to in people? Who do we look to admire? Who do we are looking you know, to respect or stay in touch with in our lives? It's often, it's not the people that um, have the most pristine life or uh, are, are, are famous or maybe the longest friendships that we have going. But at least, at least the people I like to keep up with and, and I look up to and I gravitate towards and I look forward to seeing them and talking with them are, are people that, that you and I, we can say, do you know that person, you know, Jack, you know, Jill, you know, you know those guys? Yeah, they changed. I mean, they, they, they've got a before and after story. And if you don't know that, you really ought to hear that story because they changed and it stuck. Because they, they saw things in their lives because God revealed it to them, and they turned into it instead of away from it, and they let God in there, and they changed. I think, that, again, this is one of the highest compliments you can pl- pay to a human being is that they let God's Spirit revolutionize their life, and today what I want you to see is how kind of that works, the plan, the, 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 the path of change, okay? This is, we're going to look at it, just going to get a survey of the way Jesus works with his disciples and then we're going to say, wait a minute, you know, that worked back then 2,000 years ago with a bunch of fishermen, but he's doing the same thing to us, but not so much, you know, while fishing, but everywhere else in our life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three chapters today, but we're going to survey them. We're going to, they're looking at, we'll look at some common stories, but when we look at the bigger picture, we'll see what Jesus is up to because Jesus has to change these men. He's going to turn over. There's 12 that follow him that, call, that are called disciples. He's going to leave with 11 of them the future of the kingdom of God. And if you look at, if you look at what he gets, it's not much to work with. And so, so Jesus is going to spend three years. His discipleship model is let's go camping. And, in, the, and then in that three-year camping experience, he's going to transform these gentlemen into like from cowards to courageous men of God. He's going to, he's going to, try to change the way they look at life because they just look at the physical world around them and he, and he's going to, Jesus is going to say, no, no, look at the spiritual dynamics that are taking place all around you. Okay. They're going to focus on the circumstances and he's going to say, no, no, look at me, look at me. I am so much bigger. And, and if they, if he can alter those things, their lives will change. That's how he'll change them. So uh, we're going to look at some miracles. And just for people that are kind of new to church, I'm gonna, I don't mean to glaze over this uh, too quickly. I sincerely believe in miracles. I think these uh, stories are honest to goodness true. I think they're historical events. That's not a problem for me, and I'm kind of a science a, a, kind of a science guy. And the reason is, is I think if, if, uh, if J.K. Rowling or something invaded one of her books, and, you know, I think in her books, the Harry Potter books, I think that you can fly with brooms. I think, I think so. I don't know, but my kids read them. So you can fly with, brooms can fly. So if J.K. Rowling came into her own storyline and picked up, you know, maybe a stick that was laying on the ground, and then she kind of saddled it, and some of the kids said, that's not a broom. You can't fl- You have to have a broom to fly. I could see her just launching, saying, I wrote this. And if I'm going to fly using a stick, I can fly using a stick. That's not a hard thing for me to believe because the person who writes the book gets to write the rules to the book. God wrote the rules to this creation, and when he shows up, he can, if he wants, submit to the rules that he laid out for us. But sometimes if he doesn't want to, he doesn't. And he's doing that. In these cases, he's showing off that he's the creator of the universe, but it's not to show off. It is to show these twelve men about who he is and how he will change them. So I don't have a problem with miracles, but I want you to see. I want you to get past the idea of miracles and see what Jesus is up to, because that's what that's what he does in our lives as well. So in Matthew chapters fourteen through sixteen, if you'll turn there, we're just going to fan through these three big stories. Matthew Matthew is the first book in the in the biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, Act 1 is Matthew 14. It starts in verse 14. These are somewhat uh, uh, familiar stories to us. So here he goes. When Jesus, <clears throat> indeed, He saw a large crowd, and He had compassion over them, and He healed their sick. And. This is verse 15 now. And even as evening approached, the disciples came up to him and said, Hey, look, we're kind of in a remote place, and it's really getting late. So maybe we should send the crowds away into the villages so that they can buy for themselves some, some food. And Jesus replied, Look, they don't need to go anywhere. You just give them something to eat. And they said, Well, all we have is five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me, he said. I'm here. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven, and he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves, and then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they ate and were all satisfied. It was an all-you-can-eat event, okay? And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces left over, and the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So let's just, let's just be really conservative there's 10,000 people at this event it's gone late into the evening they are mesmerized by the teachings of Jesus and he's been healing them and the disciples say we don't have we can't, they've got to go eat let them go and Jesus says bring me what you have B- what's the problem i am bigger than the problem this is the first lesson it's going to be simple there's there's no expectation that the disciples should know any better and so he takes the five loaves and the two fishes and he blesses them and they just keep passing them out. Jesus is bigger than this problem, is the lesson. And it's a lesson. There's there's 13 people that know what happened, possibly, right? The 12 and Jesus. This is not really necessarily a public part of the miracle because it's for these 12 men. And here's why I know that. How many basketfuls of leftovers? Twelve, so, so the twelve are saying we don't have food. An hour later, twelve of them each have a basket full of stuff, and now they're worried, what do we do with all this leftover? Every one of them is burdened with a basket full of leftovers. Good. It's not an isolated incident, okay? Act two. comes. The first word of act two is immediately. Immediately. This is all one storyline. It's all one lesson. Immediately, verse 22, chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and to go ahead of him, go ahead of him onto the other side of the Sea of Galilee when he dismissed the crowd, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, uh, he was all alone finally. But the boat had already had a considerable distance, a head start from land, and now it's getting buffeted by the waves because the waves are pounding against it. In Mark's story of this, it says that the men were straining with their oars. Okay. Then it goes on to say at the fourth watch, that's about 3 to 5 in the morning, Okay, Jesus comes walking out to them. That's verse 25. He walked on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking towards them, on the lake, they were terrified, it's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. A few things. First of all, you know, they start off by fearing something they know, it's fishermen. They were afraid of the lake at night with a storm. And then it transfers to fearing something they don't know. And they, and they come to what I would consider a logical conclusion that it was a ghost. <laughs> There's a man walking on a lake at night in a storm. What would you come up with? Okay, I think that's a pretty good answer. It's, it's a ghost. And so they, they start screaming about something they don't know about, and that's ghosts. And then Jesus immediately calms them down. Look at verse 27. I love this. But Jesus immediately says to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Here it is again. What's he saying? I'm here. It's me. Look at, look at me. I am bigger than this thing you fear. You, you feared un, inability to feed people. I was bigger than that. You are fearing this storm and person walking on the water. I'm bigger than that. Look at, look at me. And Peter, you know, he, he's just not going to leave it alone. He says, Lord, you need to command me to come out there in verse 28. And Jesus says in verse 29, then come. And then Peter got out of the boat and he did, okay, he goes over the side, and he does something that only a man of faith can do. He let go of the boat. And then he started walking towards Jesus. This is it. <laughs> this, is the, this is the first and only time, like, a, a normal human being is walking on water. There is something underneath his feet that is suspending him. And it's during a storm, and he's just looking at Jesus, and, and then it says, verse 30, But then when Peter saw the wind, he was he began he became afraid, and then beginning to sink, he screams out, Lord save me. Verse 30 says, Lord save me. And so, you know, oh. But look, I mean, he began to sink. And why did he begin to sink? Because and he took his eyes off of Jesus. And listen, if, we've, if, you're, if you're too familiar with this story, I want you to envision yourself trying to teach this with a whiteboard because so many of us think that everybody should know this, okay? So if you, if you keep your eye on Jesus, you won't be afraid, okay? If you take your eyes off Jesus, you know, it, it, uh, change focus leads to fear. Fear leads to doubt. Doubt makes you more buoyant, duh. You know, when do you take physics? You're heavier when you're doubtful. Who doesn't know this story? Why did he sink? Because Jesus let him sink. Do you see who's behind all of this? He didn't sink because of doubt and the physics of doubt. There's no physics of doubt. Jesus saw him doubt and said, you're missing it. And he lets him sink because he's teaching him a lesson. <laughs> this whole thing is a conspiracy brought on by Jesus. Because Jesus wants him to learn, look at me. Look at my promises. Look look at who I am. I am bigger than your predicament. And I love the other part of this. He begins to sink. Jesus doesn't like whatever's underneath his feet. He doesn't pull this rug out from underneath Peter and he goes back to normal physics and he just plunges into the water, right? R- right? He begins to sink. So apparently there's this, there's this I don't know, slow submersion and, and enough to cry out, enough to be grabbed by Jesus. And that's what Jesus does. So even the lesson itself is, is merciful. And so Jesus grabs him, and then they walk back. By the way, you get, a lot of, you get points for that. Okay, you get points for three steps and then sinking, and then you get points for walking back. Okay, that's still six steps on water. And even people that have walked on the mood haven't done this. So I'm just, I'm just bragging about the guy. So verse 30, 31 of chapter 14, immediately Jesus reached out and grabbed his hand. That's the way Jesus is. You're, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And so... In verse 32, and then when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down, and those that were in in the boat, they worshiped Jesus saying, truly you are the Son of God. This is the first time they're going to worship Jesus with this level of understanding because they're getting the lesson. They are starting to change. And why are they starting to change? Because they're starting to realize that when they were in trouble with feeding 5,000 men, that Jesus was bigger than that if they would just look at him, look at him. And then they were in trouble out on a boat in the middle of a storm at night, and they were afraid. And then something that was even scarier than the storm, Jesus shows up walking on water, and Jesus was bigger than that. Surely he is the Son of God. Right. Let's keep our eyes on him. Next story Act 3, Matthew chapter 15. They go to the Sea of Galilee, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Does this sound familiar? Because a crowd gathers around, they're all sitting down, they're bringing him, they're lame, they're blind, they're crippled, the people that are deaf and mute, and Jesus heals those. And so the people that can't see can see, and the people that can't speak can now speak. The people that can't walk can walk now. Okay? And all this is breaking out. And then Jesus, verse 32, the quiz happens. The quiz happens. Jesus called his disciples together to him and says, look, I have compassion on all these people. They've already been with me three days. They've had nothing to eat. I don't want to send them back away hungry. They might collapse on their way out. Wow, that's compassionate. And then verse 33, His disciples answered, well, you know, where could we get enough bread to, in this remote location to be able to feed this crowd? <laughs> I wonder if only there was someone here that was bigger than this problem, if Only, verse 34, how many loaves do you have? Well, we have seven loaves and we have a few fish. So he told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and he gave them thanks, gave God thanks, and he broke them and gave them to his disciples, and as they turned them to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. Exact same sentence. Okay, it's another all-you-can-eat buffet. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. There were seven loaves. Now we have seven baskets for each one. The number of those who ate were 4,000 besides women and children. And after Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into a boat, (laughs) another boat. It's a feeding in a boat, a feeding in a boat. What would it be like if you were, okay, let's just, we're a family, okay? We're just a family, and we're going to go on a picnic. Hey, we're going on a picnic today. Good, I love picnics. We're going on a picnic with Jesus. Oh, that's going to change the way we pack. Because we're just going to bring a couple sandwiches and a truckload of Tupperware, okay? Because it's not about the food; it's the storage afterwards. Okay, I've, this isn't the first time I've camped, a, you know, picnic with this man, right? I mean, there, do you see a pattern? You're supposed to see a pattern because there is a pattern. Because Jesus is saying, "I am bigger than what you see. I'm bigger than the problems that you have. If you look at me, look." look at me, feel my presence. And what's interesting is while he's telling them not to fear the inability to feed 5,000 men and not to fear the storms when I'm with you and not to fear feeding 4,000 men, he goes on after this and says, look, what you need to fear is, is, is teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees because they teach something that's called legalism, and it's the wrong way to know God, and if anything else, if it, anything else happens in legalism, this is what happens. It takes your eyes off of God and His, and His kindness and grace, and it forces you to think about yourself and judge other people. That's what legalism does. It, it gets you to focus on yourself and how you're doing, and, and it gives you the ability to judge other people by your standards. And so Jesus says, you need to fear that. And he, and he uses a metaphor of yeast. And because if you, I don't know if you know about baking, not that I do, but I think if you put yeast just on one side of, a, of, of some dough, it goes through the whole dough. You know, it's like an infection. And so Jesus is saying, look, this kind of teaching, this legalism, is infectious, like yeast is in bread. And the guys go, bread, oh, yeah, bread. We never have enough bread. I, I don't have to make this up. Uh, we're in chapter 16, uh, when they went across, chapter 16, verse 5. So when, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take the bread. And Jesus says, look, be careful about the, and be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so in verse 7, so they were discussing amongst themselves, he's mad at us because we forgot to bring bread, right? <laughs> okay. Aware of their discussion, Jesus said, Oh, ye of little faith and mind. Um, that's not in there. But uh, why are you talking amongst yourself about having no bread? Don't you understand? See, this is Jesus connecting the dots. I'm not connecting these dots. Do you not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets that we gathered? There were 12. 10, verse 10. And you remember the seven loaves for the 4,000? How many baskets did we gather then? Seven. So." <laughs> So how is it you don't understand that I was not talking about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, the poison of legalism. Quit worrying about the superficial circumstances that you're in. I'm bigger than that. I don't care about this... this. Don't care about your bodies. Care about your soul and what you think about God. That's the most important thing about you. If, God is, if Christ is going to change these men, he has to change what they look at. And Jesus is saying, look at me. Look at me. He has to change how they perceive like how big God is. And, and the, whole, the food and the boat and the food and the boat are all about where is your focal point? That's what Jesus is talking, that's how he changes lives. You see, the road road to change is in a loop. If If you read the Bible this way, look, feeding, boat, feeding, boat, it's the same set of tests over and over again. Look at your own life. Do you see a looping pattern? There ought to be a looping pattern because God is trying to change you by putting you in a place of fear and saying, no, 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 no. Look at me. I am bigger than your circumstances. I am more profound than your fears. I am greater than your, than your worst experiences in life. Look at me. Feel my presence. People, people's lives get, get majorly rearranged permanently when the Spirit of God reminds them of God's presence all around them. In, in 2 Kings chapter 6, it's a famous story in the Older Testament. Again, this is Elijah. He's one of the prophets, and he's got an intern with him. And they're in kind of the valley of the, uh, in the city where they're about to be attacked by the bad guys, and the bad guys have overwhelming odds in their favor. Chariots and, and armor and swords. And, and Elijah's he's okay with that. I mean, he's, he's at peace, and he's in a, in a state of calm, and the intern is freaking out. And the intern asks Elijah, what is up? How are you so calm? And so Elijah doesn't do anything but pray. And he says, dear God, let your spirit, let his eyes see what's real. Let him see what is spiritually taking place. And then his life would be changed And that's where we know the story. And then his eyes were opened, and he saw the army of God in chariots of fire all around the rims of the mountains, waiting, just waiting. You see, when you see God and you feel his presence, and that's the Spirit's job description, if you listen for him, he will bring the presence of God into your circumstances, and listen, I don't want you to, or I don't want, rather, I don't want to project upon you the view that if you do that, then you'll be able to have the miracle part work for you, okay? I mean, I just gave you, what, three, four examples, and they lived happily ever after. And that's unfortunate, and sometimes we can get that in the Bible. mean, <laughs> it's mostly the, the winning stories end up in the print but, in, but look, look at the life of Stephen, okay? Stephen's one of the followers of Jesus Christ. It's in the book of Acts, and, and he stands before this crowd of, of, of Jesus haters and gives this tremendous speech about how Jesus has been promised from the days of Abraham on. And at the end of that, the people turn on him, and they're, they are going to stone him to death. And as they are picking up stones, he says... I can see the presence of God. He says, all of heaven is opening up, and I can see the Son of God. There it is again. I can see the Son of God standing on his throne at the right hand of the Father. And then they start picking up rocks. And because he can see the presence of God, do the rocks turn to butter or bread rolls? No, he dies. Oh, he falls to his knees. They continue to throw stones at him. And the last thing he utters is a quote from Jesus where he says, Lord, forgive these people. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. I'm not saying that, you, that, that, that the story ends with an American ending. I'm saying that the story ends with a truthful one. That what other, whatever your circumstances might be, if you could just change the calibration of your focal point to look for Jesus in this, then the problems don't, they're not as, as vast they're not as awesome. Jesus, the Spirit of God, the, the path to change, let me say this again. The path to change is seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ is far more supreme than the fear of your nightmares. Okay? The path to change is when you see the beauty and the spectacular nature of Jesus the Christ As as blinding you from seeing the fears of your nightmares. That's how how Jesus changed lives with his 12, 11. That's how he changes lives today. That's why they fed the 5,000, that's why he put them on a boat. That's why they fed the 4,000 men, and that's why he got on a boat again. Jesus wants you to feel his presence. Jesus wants you to focus not so much on the drama around your life, but on the splendor of his promises. They don't change. It means no matter how the story ends, the story ends with God receiving glory and people worshiping in a whole new way. This doesn't happen easily. Life change doesn't. God getting inside of you this way, it doesn't happen automatically. It happens when you like, make church a priority because we get to worship together and we get to worship collectively and we get to sing songs that are true. It means that, you know, you kind of arrange your day so that you get a tune-up on what you're focusing on, sometimes, you know, in the morning and at night and sometimes somewhere in the middle saying, "Oh, you know, I'm thinking at the problems and I'm thinking about your glory. I'm thinking about uh, the things I fear instead of the, the power that you have over the things I fear. You find friends in, the, in a community like this that they, they, keep, they keep propping you up. You know, the Peters that say that you ought to get out of the boat. It's not, it's not simple. Well, it's actually, it's simple. It's just not easy. It requires discipline. And then look, and then we have these other things. Why do we do communion? Why do we do the Lord's table? To remember his presence so, so that we won't be afraid. Because when we see Christ for who he is, that changes us. That is what transforms us. So my friend Mark McLean's going to come and he's going to lead us into communion. I will pray that this communion service does that. It brings, it draws you into his presence in a new way. Dear Lord Jesus, uh, we... We pray as we sang, I will wait on you. You are my refuge. I will wait on you. You are my refuge. My hope is in you, Lord, all day long. I won't be shaken by drought or storm. My hope is in you, Lord. All day long. I am choosing not to be shaken by the circumstances of my life. I'm choosing not to be in fear of the nightmares of my past. I am choosing to focus on the splendor of your greatness, of your conquest of death. I am choosing to be enamored with your beauty. Thank you, Lord, for drawing us close into you. Lord, let us not drift far. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.